0: All right, well, good morning, good morning. I'm looking at the clock. I don't know where all the time went, but I, I, I still have all of my time, so it's fine. Um, today we're going to, uh, to look at a, a subject because it's so in the news. Uh, a lot of news channels have taken their entire homepage over because of what's happening in Israel. And it's, uh, a lot of people have been asking me questions. In fact, so many people have asked me questions about it that I decided to uh, to just actually address some of the questions that some of you ask. And I can only do a, a portion of those. I had about 35 or 40 questions that were given to me. But I think uh, I picked out some of the ones I think will resonate with you. Some of them I'm going to comment on. Some of them I'm gonna go in depth on. But it will be a little bit different service. Are you all right with that? Yeah. Okay, I hope you'll take notes. We do have the notes uh, in your app so if you uh, want to take notes on your app, you can do that, and find a place, uh, some things we'll probably say off the cuff that aren't in your notes, so you might want to uh, pay attention to that. Let me just state at the outset, um, whenever war happens, nobody wins, right? And, and I don't care how bad the enemy is, whomever you identify as that enemy, uh, innocents suffer. And the reason we go to Ukraine is not because we support the political entity of Ukraine. it is because of the people on the ground that are suffering, and our team will be going about 12 miles from, the, uh, really from the, the battle lines. We'll be working with another church over there. And we do these things because, you know, we're commanded to go and to love and, uh, and to help and be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go. Amen. So I, I want to I just preface everything I'm going to say today with that because it's really important that you know that it's just not a win for war to happen. War happens. It's happened a lot uh, in our world. It's going to keep happening until Christ returns. And we're going to look at what Jesus said about conflicts. So hopefully I can take you down a path that's going to bring some understanding uh, about some of these things. Let me just grab a couple of headlines and just read these to you, and I'll just make some brief comments through those. Knesset OK's War Cabinet, uh, P.M. Saturday, most horrible day for Jews since the Holocaust. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is um, on that day, that was the most number of Jews that had ever been killed in one day since the Nazi Holocaust. And to put it in perspective... If we had, because a percentage of population is is much lower in Israel and the scope of the land is so much smaller, it's about the size of New Jersey, but if we had the same equivalent in terms of percentage of population, we would have lost 30,000 people in one day. So when you kind of filter things through some of those, it, it kind of looks different to you Um, And because of the violence and the difficulty that that they experienced. Here's another one. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu says, it's only the beginning after nearly a week of strikes on Gaza. And the the one aim that is happening here is that Hamas, like ISIS, is eliminated. And what a lot of people don't know about Hamas, the word actually appears in uh, the Hebrew Bible. It's actually in your Bible, but it's translated violence in Genesis chapter six and verse 17. And there it is the word for violence, and when you look at it, it says they were filled with violence. And the word filled there is a word to be possessed. So what happened when the flood came, there was uh, an unholy spirit, a demonic spirit that filled society, and it was a spirit of Hamas. So when you think about this, this is not just a terror group. This is a demonically inspired terror group that actually possesses people. And so when you, when you see evil, uh, the Bible says that you love that which is good and you hate that which is evil. And so you have to hate the evil. And, and unfortunately, a lot of Hamas fighters were recruited as children, trained up to hate at a very early age. And, and it's, just, it's just a sad situation, isn't it? It really, really is. Uh, Another one, uh, why is there never peace between Israel and the Palestinians? And I'm going to address that one in depth, so I'm going to wait and not comment too much on that at this point. Let me give you some of the questions that came to me. And by the way, they were great questions. I solicited some questions, and some people just sent me questions. Uh, Number one, what is the historical origin of the conflict between the Jews and the Palestinians? I'm going to address that in depth, so I'm going to keep moving on that one. Why do the Palestinians think the land belongs to them? Again, I'm going to address that. But I I do want to say that 99.9% of all the land in the Middle East is actually Arab nations. Uh, So less than one-tenth of one percent is Jewish land. So there's 22 uh, Arab nations, there's one Jewish land, and that's too many uh, for countries like Iran and for groups like Hamas. Uh, are the Palestinians a seed of Ishmael? I will address that in a moment. Um, is the regathering of Jews in Israel prophetic? The answer is yes. I will address this a little bit, but one of the things that, uh, that happened was Jews were dispersed all over the world, but beginning in about 1970. Uh, really, we began to see some fulfillment of some scriptures. Now, prior to that was 1948, Israel becomes a nation. And that was a miracle because you remember, 48 is just three years after World War II where they lost six million people uh, in the Holocaust. And so to see a nation be born in a day, Isaiah 66 prophesied that, that a nation would be born in a day. That nation was not just A bunch of Jews who showed up and said, now we're a nation. It was a Jews that set up and the United Nations actually voted on it and approved them to be a nation. So this is not something that just kind of happened. And we're going to go into that a little bit more detail. Uh, How is Iran uh, Iran connected to this war? Uh, Almost completely. Um, You just can't separate Iran from what's happening in the Gaza Strip. The reason is because if you see the number of munitions that are coming out, and some of the munitions that are coming out, there's just not enough money in that country to be able to provide that kind of resources. It's also coincidental that it was just a week after Biden released uh, $6 billion to um, Iran. Um, I'm thinking there might be a connection there. Um, Another question is, is World War III in the Bible? And the answer is no, there's a lot of wars that aren't in the Bible. Uh, that happened. For example, the Korean War. That's not in the Bible. Vietnam. That's not in the in the in the Bible. So the the wars that are mentioned, and there are some, and we're going to look at a couple of them. The ones that are mentioned in the scriptures are ones that have prophetic significance, meaning that God's highlighting that because He wants you to see what's happening in order to understand the purpose behind certain conflicts. You know, there are a lot of things that happen in your life. You know, God didn't plan them for you. You, you just kind of You know, we're at the wrong place, wrong time, or made a bad decision, right? And so keep in mind that this is a prevalent question that people always make a comment on. They say, if God is a good God, why does he let suffering happen in the world? And I've been asked that a hundred times. I have basically the same answer I've always had for it, and that is that God created us with free will. And so God did not program us to be robots to where we always do what is good all the time. And therefore, we have to live with the freedom and bad choices, not only of ourselves, but other people, uh, communities, nations, etc. We also see how important leadership is. Uh, What a lot of people don't know about Hamas is Hamas came to power in 2006 in the Gaza Strip, and they were voted in by a 58% majority as a terrorist organization that began in 1987. So it's not like everybody goes, you got to be kidding me. We have Hamas running our country. Uh, they knew exactly what it was, and you say, well, they had no choice. Yeah, 40% of the people didn't vote for Hamas. You see what I'm trying to say? So sometimes the leadership we choose brings consequences we did not intend. Uh, I think we're all living with that today. We know that, that um, you know, Congress thinks they're all that, and yet they got, what, an 8% approval rating? Um, but we voted them in. You know, and I, I say we collectively as a nation voted him in. But we, we also suffer the consequences of leadership that doesn't want to lead properly or lead under godly principles. Um, World War War World Three war will it happen? That's kind of been the thing that's been in the news. Uh, it could, I don't see that happening from this conflict. I think there's another war that's in the Bible that we're going to address and give you some details on that. We do have two aircraft carriers uh, in the area now, which is, is, is a big signal, right? It's, it's like, uh, it's bigger than it needs to be, but in case this thing breaks out with a war with Iran, which could very easily could happen. And, and I think that's, that's probably the concern that we all have. Will this thing escalate beyond what we imagined? And it certainly could, um, in the, uh, in Hamas, um, doctrine, in their covenant, and also in the Quran, it is that it is the duty of every Muslim to kill the Jew. And so that's why Iran has constantly been saying, you know, first we're going to deal with the small Satan, that's Israel, and then we're going to deal with the big Satan, that's America. So remember, this is not something that just came, it was a soundbite. This is something that's literally in the writings, okay? Okay. what is, uh, will, uh, will the Israeli-Hamas war lead to Armageddon? Now, there's some things that have to happen before then, and I'll address that in just a minute. What is the Magog War of Ezekiel 38? I'm going to address that. And that's probably the most, the biggest next prophetic uh, thing on the horizon. All right? Uh, how do biblical themes of justice and righteousness influence the moral arguments made by parties involved in the conflict? Great question, I'm sure I could answer that in about 11 years. Um, so here's, here's the one thing that Scripture is, is lays out. It lays out that there is good and there is evil, and that evil is always bad, and evil has to be controlled, contained, or eliminated. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't, it affects everybody on earth that wants peace, wants liberty. I mean, World War, in World War II, America was hesitant to get into the European battle until uh, Japan bombed at Pearl Harbor, and then the hand was forced because they were already lined up uh, as part of that, an ally of Germany. And so we were brought into a war that we really didn't want. we just come out of Great Depression, and we're just trying to rebuild everything in America. So sometimes you're forced into a situation that you don't want, but then you recognize the evil that's there and how bad it really, really is. So sometimes, you know, you look at justice and righteousness, and you know, there's always a certain level of uh, I'm not sure about that. And I think the one thing that we want to do as believers, we want to be level-headed and we want to be able to dialogue and not argue. That's really important. You know, we're, we're going we're to see different perspectives on this. You're going to have different things that you're, you, you believe about this this war, um, but that doesn't mean you have to argue about it. It doesn't mean you have to be mean-spirited about it. Because it's complex, you know. Uh, one of my favorite writers said, "You know, simple answers to complex questions are bound to be wrong." Right. So don't oversimplify. Don't think you've got all the answers, and until you think through it a little bit and see how how challenging it really can be. Um, what did Jesus say about the end of the age and his return? I'm going to talk about that. That'll be from Matthew 24. Um, how do we dialogue with people who have a different perspective? And I think I just addressed that. I think you, you're respectful, you're kind, you listen. God gave you two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you talk. You'll pr- it's, always a good, it's always a good pattern. How do you remain positive and hopeful? And I think that's the only answer is you just have to trust in a sovereign God. When I was a student at uh, Oxford, my professor was a double PhD in physics. He was also, at one time, a part of the biological warfare department for the Royal Air Force. And he was an Anglican minister. So he had a, quite an interesting resume. And he was telling me things about biological warfare that, quite honestly, you know, I'd go, oh, my gosh, I don't even want to know this stuff. And he would just tell me a fraction. I said, and I said to him, John, I said, how do you sleep at night? You know, in typical British candor. It's easy, my boy. I believe in a sovereign God. You see, ultimately, everything goes back to a sovereign God. It doesn't mean life's always going to be easy or comfortable. It doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges. But you always have to have, your God has to be bigger than your problems. Has to be bigger than your fears. Has to be bigger than all your challenges that you face in life. And that's true whether we're talking on something a global scale or you're talking about your job, your family, anything else. You've got to get God big in your life So your problems look small, otherwise your problems are big and your God becomes small. So it's just kind of a basic thing. Let's look at the land grant. And this is the most interesting thing that I found that a lot of Christians don't understand completely. And that is that God gave land to Abraham... And the extent of the land, I'm going to show you a diagram here in a minute so you can see that, but the land was given to Abram. And so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and we're going to look at quite a few scriptures today, so hopefully this will be helpful. Now, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Now, so this is, this is the call of Abraham. God says, all right, you're getting out of Ur of the Chaldees. I'm going to take you into a land. I want you to put everything that you have behind you, and I want you to go into this land because it's going to be your land. And then on one occasion, he said, Abraham, can you count stars? And uh, you can imagine this challenge. How do I count stars? He said, look into the sky, and he couldn't do it. He says, so shall your descendants be. Then he said, "Can you count the grains of sand uh, on the seashore? So shall your descendants be." So not only was he saying there's going to be a great, a great nation come out of Abraham, but he was also teaching him something about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, because you see, Jesus taught the same thing. He said, "You want to see heaven come to earth, right? The Lord's Prayer: Our Lord." right? Okay. And so when you see the, the, the idea of bringing them together, so the idea of heaven with the stars was heaven, earth was on earth, and you, bring the, you narrow this gap between heaven and earth so that you function as the, the spiritual being you were designed to be. And he said, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make your nation great, but I'm also going to bless others because of you. The really interesting thing about it is that if you look at Israel from a couple of different perspectives, one, from um, a technological standpoint, much of the technology you enjoy today was not started in America. It was actually in Israel. And they are absolutely a leader worldwide in technology, things that you enjoy, that you experience today. And also when it comes down to Nobel Peace Prize. Um they have uh they have the greatest percentage for their for their people of any other uh people on planet earth. It's amazing. I've got a printout of it, it's like fifteen pages long. And you see, so they 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 Israel is a blessing to you. And you say, Well, I knew this Jewish guy and I didn't like him. <laughs> well, I know a Gentile, I don't like him too, right? I mean, you see, be careful how you word these things because you, you gotta remember that they're just people that are not likable. Everywhere, right? And sometimes we categorize them. But notice what he says, and this has really been a big part of my life. If you have you ever been around me when I've talked about the Jews, you'll hear this out of my mouth. He he said, "I'm going to bless." God says to Abram, "I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curses you." So whenever I I know that a person's Jewish and they identify themselves as Jewish. Uh, Or like if I'm in an airport, when we lived on the East Coast, there was a lot of Orthodox Jews, and I would always make it a point to go up to them because they're dressed. You know, they got the hat, the beard, they got the whole thing going on. And I'd go up and I'd say, clearly you're Jewish. uh, May I bless you? And they look at me with suspicion because I'm this clearly a Gentile, meaning I'm non-Jewish. And I'll say this to them. I said, I'd like to bless you in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're so shocked I said, I believe in the Abrahamic covenant, and that's what it says here. So you don't have to agree with Israeli politics to bless Jews. Jews don't have to be Christians for you to bless them. You see, God, put a ble- God had a purpose for Israel. You know why God said he chose Israel above all the other nations? One reason was because they were more stubborn than all the other nations. Now, think about that. That's what God said about them. The idea is, if I can take a stubborn people and convince them about God, I can do, then it's going to be easier for everybody else. So God has a purpose for Israel. That purpose was always to be a light unto the nations, at which they didn't do a great job. When Jesus came, he even said to them, he said, have you not read, and he was referring to the scripture, have you not read what the scriptures say? And the the truth is, they had neglected the scriptures, and they were reading the commentaries on the scriptures. So they didn't really know the word of God. He goes on to say, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, we're blessed as believers because there was someone named Jesus who was very Jewish. Right? We're blessed because of that relationship. All right, let me take you to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 24. Here's what God says. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours from the wilderness and Lebanon from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, the Mediterranean, shall be your territory. So here, God gives landmarks of what this land, where this land grant was given, and we're going to see that a little bit more uh, as we go through this. Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and your descendants, and notice what it says there, forever. So the land grant that was given to Abraham, now remember, we've gotta go back. If you start going back in history, if we just go back to David, who established Jerusalem, that was 1,000 BC, that was 3,000 years ago, right? It was Jewish land. We go back to Abraham, we've gotta go back another 1,000 years. So we've got easily 4,000 years of history, this land belonged to the Jews, okay? It was invaded by Babylon in uh, 583, and Babylon burned down the temple and, remember, took the best and the brightest as captives, much like what's recently happened. They took them back, and, they, and, and the, the empire uh, or the nation of Israel was divided, and people were dispersed all over the world. And then there was another second temple that was built, and they came back together under Cyrus, and now they're, they're back in the land. They're, they're doing their thing, And then what happens? Well, in 70 AD, Rome comes in, burns down the temple, um, and basically uh, persecutes the Jews, and they're scattered again all over the world. And this has kind of been the cycle, you know, but it never ceased to be their land, not in God's eyes. In fact, God only has one city in the Bible that he calls his city. You know what it is? Jerusalem. He only has one nation he calls his nation. You know what it is? Israel. You see, because God has an eternal purpose for the nation of Israel. A lot of people don't understand this because they, they want to fast forward and get into it. Yeah, but what about the conflict? What about the Palestinians? I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And I'm, in fact, let's look at this diagram, and you're going to see the picture of how broad the lo- royal land grant is. Now, right now, Israel uh, actually holds just a very little sliver of that land. If you, kinda, if you know your map very well, you see the Mediterranean Sea, and you know where the Salt Sea is, it's kind of that oblong and then you got the Sea of Galilee right above it. They just have that little bitty area there. But remember, the original land grant went all the way over the Euphrates rivers there to the east, up to the north there into Syria called Hamath, and then down below the Dead Sea there in uh, Kadesh so, And there's the scriptures that give you all the land grants. So if you go, well, what was the original land? Well, that was it. Okay? Why was that significant? Because that's also the area where guess what was there? The Garden of Eden. You actually, in Scripture, you can actually pinpoint the place of the Garden of Eden um, pretty close over by the Euphrates River. And you've often heard that was kind of the cradle of civilization. It was indeed, because God planted man there. All right, well, we've got Abraham, but we've got a problem with Abraham. Abraham had a zipper problem. So, Abraham got a promise from God. Well, I'm just going to put it out there where you can live with it. All right. So, so Abraham gets this promise from God. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, and yet his wife is barren. She can't bear children. And all of a sudden, they're advancing in age, and now Abraham, by the time he finally gets, you know, is, becomes a father of the right one, Isaac, right, he's a, almost 100 years old. Now, that's enough to make anybody mad if you're 100 and you've got a baby to watch, right? Amen. <laughs> Okay, but what happens is Sarah is impatient, and Abraham is dumb. Okay, so what happens is Sarah says, why don't you go ahead and have a um, relationship with my handmaiden, Hagar, and then, that, then we'll have a son. So instead of waiting on the promise of God, they took the promise of God into their own hands, and what they did was they created a bigger problem. Because guess who was born from Hagar? Ishmael. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about Ishmael. Some of it's positive, some of it's not quite so positive. But let me show you, just so you know scripture. Because Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. Even Muhammad, the Muhammad of Islam, said that yes, Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. You say, well, what does that have to do with Palestinians? Because Palestinians are Arabs. Alright. A lot of people say, wait a minute, what did you say? Yeah, Palestinians are Arabs, unless they've immigrated there from another place, like Syria. You have a lot of Syrians there in the Gaza. Okay. Uh, but there is no, there there's never been a people called Palestinians. All right? That was a term that was given by the Romans when they conquered Rome, when they conquered uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD, and they use it as a slur from Philistines. So instead of saying Philistines were in the land, they said the Palestinians, and they met the whole group of them. And they said, this is just a group of Palestinians." all right? And so because, you say, well, I, I thought they had, no, there's never been a Palestinian language, never been a Palestinian king, never been coinage, there's, there's, there's no documents, there's nothing. In fact, really, you don't even see, you don't even hear about it until about 1919, and then in 1960, 60, it comes to a little bit more prominence, the Palestinian thing, and, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of delve into that a little bit more. Uh, in fact, if someone dies who's Palestinian and you do a DNA test on them, they're going to probably test Arab, unless they're Syrian. Uh, they're not, because there is no, there is no ethnic group called Palestinians, okay? Um, so let's look at this, uh, Genesis chapter 16, the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now, you gotta feel sorry for Hagar. You know, if you know this story at all, um, Hagar has this baby named Ishmael. Sarah is jealous, and she got this thing started. Abraham was dumb because he said, yeah, it sounds good to me. You know, I mean, this is like the dumb guy in town, right? Yeah, I'll do this. He doesn't see the consequences going to come down the road. He's got to live with his wife who's going to be bitter because it's 13 years after Ishmael's born, before Isaac's born. That's 13 years of, of listening to her say, I can't believe that you like that boy and you like Hagar and you had sex with... Are you kidding me, Abraham? I mean, this is what's going on. So all of a sudden, now she gives birth to Isaac, the son of the promise... And what does she do? Now she grows even more resentful to Hagar and says to Abraham, you got to get rid of this girl. And that boy, he's got to go. Okay? Because now we have the son of the promise. And you feel sorry. You know, you see this situation, but isn't this like the human stuff that everybody deals with on one level or not? I mean, you all deal with stuff. You deal with family stuff, and it may not be this complicated, but it's complicated. Why? Because we're humans, and because guess what? Last time I checked, nobody was perfect. Right? If you're perfect, I mean, please tell us how, because we'd like to know. All right, Now, look what it says about Ishmael. This is really interesting. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. So here's we see that there's going to be this conflict between these brothers, these two families, this family of Isaac and this family of Ishmael. And they're going to dwell next to each other. Well, certainly that's what we have. We have Israel right in the middle of the Middle East, one tiny nation and 22 Arab nations all around them. And there's been constant conflict, constant conflict, right? There's also a promise given to Ishmael. Look at Genesis 17, verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. So God says, I'm going to bless Ishmael, okay, because he comes through the line of Abraham, Right, and I will make him fruitful, and he will multiply exceedingly. Indeed, the Arab nations have, and he shall be he shall beget twelve princes. We could go into that, but we don't have time this morning. And I will make him a great nation. All right, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac. So God's really clear here. He says, "Look, I'm going to bless the descendants of Ishmael. I'm going to bless the descendants of Isaac." But my covenant is going to be with the son of the promise, and that is Isaac, all right? So when we begin to kind of dig into this, we say, well, where did the origin of this conflict begin? It began right here in the book of Genesis. There's where the conflict happens. It's never been resolved. And people say, well, you know, every president that comes in, every administration says, we're going to bring peace to the Middle East. And I just laugh. I say, if you read your Bible, you know you never will. There will never be peace in the Middle East until the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, they might have some moments where it looks like things are getting better, but deep down, remember uh, from you know from where you're talking about Hezbollah, or you're talking about Hamas, or you're talking about any of these others, they all have one thing that they want to accomplish, and that is the the total annihilation and extinction of the Jewish people. God, why they why why? Well, it goes back to here, you see? And these conflicts, you know, have you ever noticed if you've got a problem in your life with somebody and you don't resolve it, it, it gets worse, it becomes bitterness? That's why the Bible says, you know, you know uh, beware lest a root of bitterness springs up within you, and by it many are defiled. So you can go from frustration to anger, anger to hate, and then hate to bitterness, and when you get it deep-rooted in there, it becomes like, the Bible says, a root of bitterness, and it springs up, that is it has a life of all of its own, and then you start to recruit people to get in your bitter community, right? See things my way, would you? Take up my side, would you? Be offended like I'm offended. And so there's all these practical applications we can have because even though we're, we're not living in Middle East, we, we also are humans and we have conflicts. All right, let's go to uh, Israel back in the land. So remember we talked about uh, Israel coming back to the land in 1948, and then what happened in 1950, Israel established a law called the Law of Return. And the Law of Return said that any Jew living anywhere in the world can come back and be a part of Israeli society. So you see a number of things happen, we're not going to deal with this in, in great detail, but the prophecies of Zechariah, where God says, I'm going to bring my people from Ethiopia. And This is pretty amazing. So we have like three or four airlifts out of Ethiopia, because guess what? There are people in Ethiopia who have a Jewish bloodline. That's why if you ever go to Israel, you're going to see a lot of black Ethiopians who are actually Jews, right? You say, well, how would that happen? Well, who knows? We think maybe Solomon connected with the Queen of Sheba, and the rest kind of is, we don't have another explanation. We don't know how this happened. It just happened, right? Uh, It's the only, by the way, it's the only commandment that mankind's ever been able to fully, completely achieve, and that is be fruitful and multiply, We got that one down. We got 7 billion, 8 billion people on planet Earth. We've got that one figured out. The other nine we're in trouble with, all right? Okay, so... Back in the land. So Israel, so what God's doing, he's bringing Israel back in the land. In 1948, he brought them back in the land. He's bringing people out of Ethiopia. Then there's a great expulsion of 1970 where Russia kicks out all the Jews of the Soviet Union at the time. And they, guess what, most of them uh, either immigrated to Israel or to America or different parts of the world. And so... Russia had no idea, or U- U- USSR had no idea how valuable, because they sent out the best, the brightest, the scientists, the teachers, the educators, uh, all of those, and it bankrupt USSR, and that's partly why it fell. Yeah. You know, USSR didn't fall because Reagan gave a speech and said, tear down that wall. There was a lot of things going on, like the prayers of God's people, yeah. right? There was the plan of God. So you've got this great expulsion. They're coming into Israel. Look at Joel chapter 3. For behold, in those days and at that time, I will bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Now this, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, is the place of Armageddon. He says, so he's ultimately saying, I'm going to, this is going to culminate in the greatest battle on planet Earth. I will enter into judgment with, uh, with them there on account of my people. So what's, the, what's Armageddon about? It's all about the way that people treated the Jews. Isn't that interesting? In fact, in Jeremiah, it says that that, uh, that, that battle of Armageddon is called uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. In other words, the Jews are going to be caught up in this too because they haven't believed in the Messiah. But now, the last part of this is what I want you to see. Uh, there, on account of my people, my heritage Israel whom they have scattered among the nations, they have also divided up my land. Do you see that part of the judgment of God comes because people scattered the Jews and they divided up the land? If we could just go back to that land grant uh, image real quick. All right, now remember, that's how much land God gave. God says you divided up that land. So you've got a lot of different people that are occupying that land, and Israel only has a sliver. He says, I'm bringing judgment because you divided the land and because you scattered the people all over the world. All right? Let's go. What about the Magog War? Magog War is Ezekiel 38. Um, This one is... um, Pretty simple on the service to kind of understand, but I think when you see the player, so people say, is this the Magog war that's happening right now in Israel? I said, not yet, because the, the nations involved don't line up with the scripture. So let me just read it to you. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Those are the ancient names of Russia. All right, so now we know Russia is, in, is involved in this conflict, Ezekiel 38. It goes on to say, Persia, well, that's now Iran. The name was changed from Persia to Iran at the suggestion of the German ambassador reminding the Persians that they were not Arabs, but they were Aryan race. So the word Iran means Aryan. Mm-hmm. So that's why... One of the top best-selling books even to this day in Iran is Maim Kemp by Adolf Hitler. All right? All right, let's go on. Ethiopia. This is not Ethiopia of, that we think of. It's actually Sudan. So Ethiopia was used in a lot of different ways, uh, but this was actually Sudan. And Libya, of course, that's still Libya. And with them, uh, all of their shield and their helmet, Gomer, which is the ancient name for Germany, and all its troops, and the house of Tagarma, which is Turkey, from the far north, and all its troops. Now, so, when I'm looking at at what's happening today in the Israeli-Hamas war, I see some nations that have really stepped up and said, we support Israel. One of them is Germany. Okay, unless that changes, this is not the Ezekiel 38 war. Okay? Russia has really come out against Israel. Iran has. So we have two of the players in here. Uh, Libya is silent. Um, Sudan is silent right now. We don't see much from them. Uh, Turkey is um, clearly probably going to be anti-Israel because of the high uh, Muslim uh, population there. Uh, But anyway, so we don't see this battle lining up. But you need to be aware of it because I believe this battle will will open the door for the Antichrist to come. Because what happens in this battle, really interesting, and we won't deal with it in a lot of uh, detail here, but um, what happens in this, it says that God's judgment comes in. Every wall in Jerusalem falls. That means the wailing wall that holds up the, the mosque there. Every wall will fall and collapse, and that they will suffer about a four-fifths loss of the enemy will of, of their soldiers. So really, you've got a decimated army, you've got a, a Jerusalem that's annihilated, and then there's going to be the rebuilding, I believe, of a Jewish temple and the restoration of uh, the sacrificial system of the Jews. And that midway through the tribulation, that's uh, Revelation 13, what we're going to see is we're going to see the Antichrist uh, take his seat in the temple of God and declare himself to be God. And thus it all, then it really gets bad. That's the mark of the beast. Uh, If you're there then, you don't want to be, okay? Um, And I'll show you where, if you're a true believer, I'll show you what happens, okay? Um, So it says here, I'm just going to drop down, after many days you will be visited, and the latter years you will come into the land of those who brought you back from the sword and gathered from many peoples on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. Now, you say, well, has Israel ever been safe? Well, safe is a relative term. It's kind of like, you know, long hair is a relative turn, right? If you're bald, an inch is long hair. You know what I'm talking about? Right? I mean, I feel thin until I stand next to Simon. Yeah, It's all relative, amen? It's all, right? So the idea is that, um, that the one thing I want you to see in this, Ezekiel 38, it's they've all come back into the land, and they're dwelling in, let's call it relative safety, Okay, now we're going to go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24. This is called the Olivet Discourse, and I know we're, we're running a... L- 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 Our time, our clock's moving faster today than it normally does, but I I want you just to see this. This is a really key scripture. I really want you to to read uh, Matthew 24. It says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They're asking the same questions you and I are asking. He answered them and said, Take heed that no one deceives you. First thing, don't be deceived, all right? For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now this is a this is a data point in your Bible, because the first time we ever had this kind of a battle, a kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, was World War One. So in my Bible, I literally put down nineteen fourteen to nineteen seventeen. This is a data point for my for for my reading of Matthew 24. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrow. So this is, this doesn't, you say, well, aren't we having more earthquakes? Maybe, but remember, that's just the beginning. This is not like, you go like, there was three earthquakes today, I think the Lord's coming back tomorrow. No, don't, don't do that, okay, don't do that. All right, let's look at this chart. I think we left some of these on the chair for you to take home with you. But what I want to do is I want to show you kind of where we are on this, just give you a really fast uh, overview of it. The Great Falling Away is where people who said they were Christians, they begin to fall away. I think COVID uh, got that started, I, I really do. I mean, I think it was a cleaning of the house uh, and uh, it was tears that were, you know, just said, I, I don't really believe anymore, I don't, that's not for me. Um, but that's gonna come in a massive form. Then there's something called the rapture of the church. We're gonna look at that scripture. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we enter into this tribulation period, which is seven years in length. We see the mark of the beast there in the middle. Uh, There we see the battle of Armageddon uh, happening. Uh, The kings of the east marching into Jerusalem. This is going to, they're going to march into the the valley of Megiddo there. Uh, And then we see it culminated by the second coming of Jesus Christ. So you have that chart. You can study a little bit. Let me take you to 1 Thessalonians and this will be our last scripture for today, but because I, uh, I want to leave you with a lot of hope, amen. amen. So uh, hopefully, this information is good for you, and you kind of gives you something to sink your teeth in and go back and do a little bit more study. Okay. But I love this scripture. It says, uh, "For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord." Now, if we could go back to that chart for a minute, I want to show you something. This scripture right here, you see where it is. This is different from the second coming. The rapture of the church happens before the tribulation. Second coming happens and and completes the tribulation period. You say, well, aren't there people that believe different things? Yes, there are. There are people that think we're gonna go through the tribulation. People think we're gonna go go through half the tribulation. Uh, I have studied a lot. This is what I believe. You have the right to believe whatever you wanna believe. If you go through the tribulation, let me know how it is. I'm going on ahead. Okay. First Thessalonians chapter four, okay. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who remain alive at the coming of the Lord uh, will by no means precede those who fall asleep. So what's gonna happen, that means those who fall asleep, those who are dead, all right? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So remember, in this, in this first scenario here, the rapture, the Lord does not come all the way to earth. We meet him in the air. You say, how does that work? I don't know. I don't even know how electricity works, but I believe in it. Are you with me? I mean, don't make this over complicated. I don't know, I'm walking by faith. I don't know how God saved me. I don't know why God saved me, but I just believe what I've been reading in the Bible. Okay, so we're gonna, it says, then we're, we will caught up, we'll be caught up. You see that word caught up? Okay, that is the phrase where we get the word rapture. It really is, It was that word, term rapture came from a, a Latin translation, but it means to be caught up. So that's the, that's the theological concept of rapture right there. You say, why don't it just say rapture? Well, the same reason it doesn't say, when it translates the word baptizo, which is baptism. The word baptism literally means, or baptizo means to dip, right? But what it does is it takes a foreign word and makes it into an English word. And so you see that in scripture quite a bit because you're dealing with Greek or you're dealing with Hebrew. All right, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So where do I find comfort? I I find comfort in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I have comfort in this. Remember, Israel was in a bad place in Egypt. God delivered them out. Remember, the Passover, the blood of the Lamb. Then he took them across the Red Sea. And even though they watered in the wilderness 40 years, God protected them. Remember, Noah, right? He was righteous on the earth. God protected him and his family. You see, what you've got to remember is God is not destined true believers unto wrath. And so what we do is we, we, we fall in line and say, God, I trust you and your promises. That's why it's important to know your Bible and to know the promises of God. So you go like, wow, you know, I might be going through a tough time, but God's got my back. God's got my back. I don't know how this is going to work out. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy because we still got the human element, but it does mean that God has your back and you can trust in the Lord. And so it says, comfort one another. Hey, you know what I'm comforted by? I'm comforted that God has a plan for me. God protects me. God calls me his son, his daughter. God calls, calls me the royal diadem in his hand. Um, God has, has loved me, said nothing can separate me from the love of God, not things present, not things to come. And so what you have to do is say, you know what? A lot of people don't, they don't want to hear about prophecy. God, stuff scares me. Well, so do movies. <laughs> movies can scare you. Why do you keep watching them? Right? But remember, the words of God, he reveals stuff to his people ahead of time so that they know what's happening in the world. That's where you get comfort. God has revealed it. God says, I do nothing unless I reveal it first to my, my sons, the prophets. How about that? So rest in the arms of God Know that he is a refuge. He is a very present help in time of trouble. We can run into him and and be safe. Amen. All right. Um, hey, let's pray together. Why don't you stand and and we're gonna pray and I think we're gonna close with a song. I think it'll be good to just kind of you know culminate this day with uh, with with letting God inhabit the praises of His people. Amen. Amen. And, and can I say this? Whatever you do. Do not not separate your mind into, well, I hate Palestinians. You should not. You should not. You should love all people. You should hate evil, cling to that which is good. You should love the Jewish people. You should love all people, right? This has got to be our message. That's what we're about as a church. You're going to find a lot of people you disagree with in life, but make sure that when it comes to this subject, because it's a sensitive subject and there's so much, it's so complicated, people, it just is. But, but love never fails, amen? amen. Love never fails.